Well, the Washington Redskins are no more. So too, their cheerleaders have disappeared. Mr. Potato Head is no longer Mr. Four of Dr. Seuss's books have now been discontinued, and I saw something on my news feed this morning about Pepe Le Pew may be on his way out as well. About a week ago, after a Florida congressman quoted from the Bible in the U.S. House of Representatives, Jerry Nadler said in response, quote, what any religious tradition describes as God's will is of no concern to this Congress. End of quote. We're all very familiar with the term cancel culture. And it's uh, obvious that some even want to cancel God. Although this term is fairly new, the practice is not new. It is very old, as we're going to see today. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to open them to the book of Acts, chapter 21. We're going to begin in verse number 40 there in just a little bit. But as you're finding that, I'll remind you that last week we watched as rumors and assumptions motivated a violent, violent mob to attack the Apostle Paul. It resulted in his arrest, even though even though he was the innocent one. Things are not always as they appear, are they? He was taken into custody by a Roman commander by the name of Claudius Lysias and was being carried up the steps of the Antonia Fortress to his prison cell when he asked the commander if he could speak to the crowd. To find out if he was allowed to do that, I invite you to stand if you're able as we read from Acts chapter 21, beginning in verse number 40. Hear the word of the Lord. Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. When they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, brothers and fathers, listen to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Keep your Bibles open to that passage this morning. We'll be coming back to it, but let's pray. God, invite your Holy Spirit today to anoint this message, to anoint the word, to anoint our ears to hear it and our hearts to obey it. Father, fill us with your spirit, we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Man, you may be seated this morning. Bless his dear heart, Paul just doesn't give up, does he? He's still convinced that he can win this crowd that just tried to kill him to the Lord Jesus Christ. And surprisingly, the commander, Claudius, allows him to address this rowdy group. Even more surprising, when he starts to do so, they get quiet and they listen. Now, keep in mind that Paul has no loudspeaker. He doesn't have any kind of a bullhorn. But over the course of the last several years, I'm sure that he had developed his voice to be able to project to large groups without one. 
Now earlier he had spoken to the commander in Greek and asked him if he could speak. But now as he turns to the crowd, he begins to speak in Aramaic. Why would he do that? Why would he change? He changed because Aramaic was the language of those folks that were in the crowd. That was their native tongue. It was what they understood the best and this created a connection with them. My friends, Paul is no dumbing. When we are witnessing, let's use our brains. Amen? And then Paul does another very wise thing. Instead of calling them a bunch of dumb idiots like I probably would have done if they'd have just tried to kill me. Paul calls them brothers and fathers. He emphasizes the fact that they are fellow Jews together. And then he goes on to give them a little bit of his pedigree. He says, I was born a Jew in Tarsus. But I was brought up here in Jerusalem. Everybody say Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the seat of Jewish education. If you want to get an engineering degree today, Virginia Tech's one of the best places to go. Not that I'm prejudiced or anything. Jerusalem was the Harvard. It was the Princeton. It was the Oxford of that particular day. Jewish boys came from all over the world to study under the Jerusalem rabbis. That was the place to be trained. And then Paul does a little bit of name dropping. He mentioned Gamaliel. Everybody say Gamaliel. Gamaliel had been Paul's rabbi, his teacher, his tutor, from little on up. Paul had apparently moved to Jerusalem at a young age. He entered into the training underneath this man named Gamaliel. Gamaliel was probably the most famous teacher of that time. One of the most well-respected, if not the most well-respected. Everybody in the crowd would have known that name. Gamaliel was a grandson of Hillel whose teachings are still followed by many Jews today. And so it was a very high privilege to have had Hillel's grandson as a teacher who was recognized as the best. We met this guy named Gamal back in Acts chapter 5 when the Sanhedrin was trying to figure out what to do with Peter John after they had healed somebody. Remember that? The rest of the Sanhedrin said, let's, let's, let's punish them, let's throw them in jail, uh, let's flog them and so forth. And Gamal said, no. He said, wait a minute. He said, let him go. He says, if this thing is not of God, it won't last anyway. If it is of God, you'll never be able to stop it. It's wise advice, remember? And so Paul was very blessed to be taught by someone with such good advice, such good intuition. And the scripture says here that Paul studied at his feet. That was the normal way they did it. The, the, the tutor would, the rabbi would stand or sit on the steps and the others would gather there below them instead of perhaps in a classroom or on Zoom like today, right? And so they studied at his feet. Now this also says something about Paul. It tells us that Paul's family probably had some money. In order to enable him to travel to Jerusalem and to study under this most famous teacher. It also indicates something about his intelligence. About Paul's ability. Because it took more than money to be one of Gamal's students. You had to keep up. You had to be bright. You had to show promise. 
and Paul did. In fact, some people consider Paul to be one of the five smartest people to have ever lived. I'm happy to share that honor with him. No. <laughs> so Paul tells the folks as they're listening to him now that he had learned the Mosaic law under Gamal, that he was just as zealous for God as they were. And instead of bashing them for their bad behavior, Paul actually praises them for how excited they are about God, even if it is misdirected. He tells them about how he used to persecute Jesus' followers himself, some to the death, some to prison, and so forth. And then he drops another name, or 70. He says the high priest and all the Sanhedrin, 70 people, 71 altogether, could verify this since they were the ones who would sign the orders for him to go out and do these things. Then Paul turns a corner and he begins to share his personal testimony. He tells the crowd what happened on the Damascus Road that day. We've already looked at that when it occurred back in Acts chapter 9. It's probably still available there on YouTube. But it's a very powerful story about how God spoke to Paul. Paul was blinded. And God turned him from a Christian killer into a Christian maker. Amen? An incredible, incredible story. Paul tells him about how Ananias came. And with God's help restored his sight. Baptized him and commissioned him to go and preach which Paul now has been doing the last several years. Look back at your scripture now, verse 17. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, he said to me, leave Jerusalem immediately because they will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him. He is not fit to live. So one minute they're really listening to Paul. They're hanging on his every word. And the next minute they're shouting for his death. What made the difference? One word. Everybody say Gentiles. Non-Jews. Paul began to refer to Gentiles. Now keep in mind, most of this crowd that is gathered there are not Jewish Christians. They are Jewish Jews. They hated the unclean Gentiles. They believed that there was no way God could ever save them. And they believed that God actually hated Gentiles too. There was no way he could save them. And so him mentioning the word Gentile in front of this group is Kind of like saying Trump at a Democratic rally today or AOC at a Republican one. It was a flashpoint. It really set them off. Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. It's pretty harsh 
wouldn't you say? Verse 23. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. He directed him to be flogged and questioned in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. Why were they tearing their clothes off? Well, probably because they thought Paul had just blasphemed. But also probably because they were getting ready to stone him to death in spite of the Roman soldiers that were there. So Claudius, the commander, moves him inside the fortress and orders that he be flogged. Everybody say flogged. We know what flogging is, right? Remember the movie Passion of the Christ? That was flogging. Although Jewish law limited beatings to 39 lashes and Paul had had that happen five different times already, the Romans had no such mercy limit. As we saw in that movie, they could continue and continue and continue. And they used whips embedded with bone, stone, and metal to extract the greatest confession. If the victims didn't die from flogging, many of them were actually disabled permanently. There was nothing like a good flogging to get a person to confess to a crime even if they had never done it. Verse 25. As they stretched him out to flog him, Paul said to the centurion standing there, Is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it. What are you going to do, he asked. This man is a Roman citizen. The commander went went to Paul and asked, Tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a big price for my citizenship, but I was born a citizen, Paul replied. Those who were about to question him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains. Now, the Greek word that Luke uses here in this passage for stretching him out literally means they were they were tying him fast to the post, getting ready so he's only moments away from being beaten. And as they do that, Paul casually asks the soldier there, uh, "By, by the way, is it legal for you to do this to a Roman citizen without a trial? Whoa! Stop the train, back it up. The, the, uh, Roman citizen? I had no idea. This was another flashpoint, you might say, this time for the Roman soldiers. Roman citizenship came with many high privileges that not everybody had. Everybody else could be flogged without a trial. You could be tortured beyond your endurance. You could even be executed without any reason whatsoever. Many people were but not a Roman citizen. Membership had its privileges. Roman citizens had the right to vote. They also were exempted from certain taxes that everybody else in the empire had to pay. Roman citizenship was a very precious possession. They didn't give it to just anybody. It was much harder to get Roman citizenship then than it is to get U.S. citizenship today. 
There were three ways that you could really go about getting it. Number one, you could do some heroic deed for the Roman Empire. Lead a great battle or, or something else for which you would be recognized. Number two, you could serve in the Roman army. And if you survived for 25 years, you could retire and you would receive then your Roman citizenship, a small piece of land, and a small pension. Now, whenever you did either of those, heroic deed or serve in the military, not only did you receive your citizenship, but so would all of your descendants, your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and so forth. And apparently, that's what Paul had received from his father, his grandfather, someone uh, earlier. If your parents were Roman citizens, you would be one. Now, that's true with U.S. citizenship today, but not everyone who lived in the Roman Empire was a Roman citizen. Far from it. Most people weren't. Even those that lived in the city of Rome, many of them were not officially Roman citizens. You had to earn it, or you had to be born to someone who had, or... You could go about it the third way, the way that Lysias, the commander, had done it. And you could buy it. Everybody say buy. Now, it wasn't exactly like you go down to the courthouse and you slapped your check down on the counter and say, I want to buy my citizenship. No, it wasn't like that. You had to find the right person that had the right connections and give them a bribe under the table. And it had to be enough, and the person had to be in the right position to be able to make that happen. And the going price was usually about a year's wages. Think about what you made last year, and that's what you would maybe pay to become a citizen. Let me say before we go on this morning that most of us take our U.S. citizenship way too much for granted, myself included. It is a very precious possession and one for which we should thank God regularly. It gives us the right to vote. It gives us the right to hold office, to travel, to enjoy so many other privileges. At least for now, citizens are still guaranteed the rights spelled out in our Constitution. And although it has cost tens of thousands of people their lives... It hasn't cost most of us anything. Thank God for our citizenship. So Paul plays his citizenship card. How does he prove it? We don't know. Luke doesn't tell us. Roman law actually gave the benefit of the doubt to the prisoner to to produce the proof ahead of time until they could show it. But if you were lying about it, (laughs) that would not be good. The flogging is immediately put on hold. Another course of action begins. You see, Claudius and his soldiers could be in huge trouble for violating a citizen's rights. Verse number 30. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priest and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. And so we'll leave Paul in front of the Sanhedrin until we come back the next time. And uh, Lord willing, we'll find out how that went. 
But what are the lessons from this very explosive situation that goes from a crowd listening to Paul to him being spared flogging only by technicality? Well, I think most importantly, it teaches us to discover and to know our own flashpoints. Everybody say flashpoint. That, that's when, you know, dynamite is all set up and then the spark is given the flash and it explodes. What is it that sends you into postal mode? Or I mean, we all have them. We all do. It's important for us to know what those are. Because if we don't learn what they are, other people around us will and they'll use them against us. Whenever that happens, our minds shut down, our emotions kick in, bad things happen. What are your flashpoints? What are mine? We, we need to know. For much of our culture today, I would say that some of those words are racism. LGBT. Or COVID shutdowns. Or mask. Or whatever. Depending on our personal beliefs, whenever we hear one of these words, we automatically either shut down or go into attack mode. Let's allow this story of Paul to remind us to just just pause, take a deep breath, and then begin to explore together what the Bible has to say about God's will concerning whatever the matter might be. Before we explode and try to eliminate what someone else has to say, or even worse, eliminate them. Cancel culture. As I said at the beginning, canceling is nothing new, but what is being canceled has now changed. My my parents canceled a lot of stuff from my life as I was growing up. George, you shouldn't be watching that. Change the channel. Turn off the TV, whatever else. For most of our lives, as a culture, foul language wasn't even broadcast. Nudity was not displayed. Openly gay relationships were not shown. Those things were canceled or they were omitted because producers knew they were sinful. They were wrong. Well, today, I don't need to tell you this morning, that tide has reversed. What used to be canceled is now promoted. What used to be promoted is now canceled. As we said earlier, Dr. Seuss books have been discontinued. And yet, one of the songs that's up for the highest, what, song of the year, whatever, has such foul lyrics. It's just embarrassing to even look at them, much less hear them. Somehow, I don't get that. Why has this happened? Well, it's happened because moral standards of our nation have changed. The moral standards have changed. Not all and everyone, perhaps. Not even most. I don't know. But certainly of those in positions of greatest influence and of greatest leadership. Which means, fellow parents and grandparents, we have to use the remote To cancel whatever we don't want our kids or grandkids to see and hear. 
We have to turn off the radio when songs come on that glorify sinful behavior, whether it's country or rock or rap or whatever else it might be. We have to control the, the, the phones. Yes, control. I know that's a, that's another one of those flashpoints today, right? Listen, God made us parents for a reason. There'll be a time when that control would no longer appropriate, no longer needed. But there's a time when it is. We have to teach biblical values to our children because they're not going to get it anywhere else. The culture's not going to do it for us. They're going to teach them something. They're teaching them something entirely different. They're not going to get it at school. They're not going to get it from the media. They're not even going to get it at church. Now, we can help, but at most, we only have them an hour or two a week if you bring them. But it's never really been the job of any of these other institutions anyway. It's always been the job, the responsibility of parents. It's the responsibility of parents to bring up our children, as Paul said in the book of Ephesians, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so I want to challenge us today. Let's cancel what needs to be canceled. Amen? But be careful to cancel the ideas and the values without canceling the person. That's, that's, a, that's a pretty important difference. And that's happening today in a huge way. I don't like what, I, what you believe, so I'm going to eliminate you. I'm going to cut off your social media. I'm going to delete you from society. I'm going to fire you, even though what you believe has nothing to do with the job that you're doing right now. What's that woman's name, Mandalorian, that just got canned because she believed something and stated something that had nothing to do with the role that she played in that motion picture? Rid the earth of him. He's not fit to live. That's what they said about Paul, and that's what's being said today about some people because of their beliefs. And sometimes we've said it. It's not unique to one side of the political spectrum or the other. We can all be guilty of that. And so let's be careful to cancel ideas and values without canceling people. There are those calling today that... Nobody should hire somebody with a certain political belief. That's not toleration, my friend. That's not Christian. Those who talk about not discriminating are often the ones most guilty of it. Don't hire somebody who has supported this or that candidate. Somebody that has posted something on social media maybe years ago when the job they're being hired for has nothing to do with that belief. Now, if they're in a policy position, that matters. The people that we elect, the people that are approved to government positions need to be vetted because they set policy based on their values. But to say they don't have a right to their opinions, to say they shouldn't be hired anywhere for anything, to say they should not even be allowed to live. No, that's very, very wrong. It's okay to disagree. It's okay to stand up for your beliefs. We need to, amen? It's not okay to strip somebody of their livelihood or their dignity or their rights of free speech or their lives just because they happen to disagree. 
As Evelyn Beatrice Hall famously said, I disapprove of what you say, but I will defend to the death your right to say it. That used to be the watchword of many on the left. Maybe not so much anymore. My friends, the Jews tried to cancel Paul because he dared believe God might love Gentiles. If they had dug into their scripture, into the Old Testament, they would have found that the Old Testament affirms that over and over and over again. But let's understand this morning what our standard is. The standard is the Bible. That's where we get our values from. Not from our personal beliefs, of which I have many. Not from our personal preferences, of which we all have. Not from our relatives. Not from the government. Not from any political party, but from God's Word. My friends, ultimately God and His gospel will not be canceled. Politicians notwithstanding. Jesus said he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against her. That's a promise that he made. Now that tells me a couple. It doesn't say it's always going to be easy. Doesn't say it's always going to be wonderful. Sometimes the whole culture might be going the other direction and, and we're swimming upstream. Look at Paul. Look at many people in the Bible for that matter. But he did guarantee that the church would stand. In fact, not only should we stand and defend our position, when he says the gates of hell should not prevail against us, will not prevail, that indicates offense. We need to be taking territory for Jesus Christ. Amen? We need to be taking territory for him by sharing the message of Jesus with other people. And so, my friends, let's ask the Lord today to have the wisdom To have the discernment to deal with the flashpoints in all of our lives. To deal with the flashpoints that are in our culture today. To cancel whatever needs to be canceled without canceling people for whom Jesus Christ died. Let's ask God today for the wisdom to be able to make that distinction.